A few years back, I was working with this one podcast coach, uh, Coach Eric was his name. And when we were initially working together, I noticed what a smart guy he was. Because a lot of individuals that try to sell you on some sort of service, they're trying too hard to get the sell. And when they're trying so hard to get the sell, what happens is that a lot of them are not necessarily understanding what it is that you need. So a few years back, I was thinking about starting the Armani Talks podcast. And I was like, well, I don't listen to podcasts. I don't know much about podcasts, but I want to start one anyways. So I go on Google and I begin to type out uh, different podcast coaches that are out there. And this is when I stumbled onto Coach Eric. I filled out one of his forms. He called me back for a free 15-minute consultation. And within this talk uh, that I had with him, I wanted to explain the vision for what I was going for. Around that time, I was also in Toastmasters. And Toastmasters has this one segment called the Table Topics section, where you can create impromptu talks. No preparation. You're just speaking from the heart. And something about that just like resonated with me. I can't quite put it into words. It's more so a feeling. And I told that to Coach Eric. I'm like, I want these episodes to be completely unscripted. I want it to be raw. I'm tired of all these edited content nowadays, man. Straight, raw talk. And what Coach Eric could have done was be like, nah, nah, man, that's not how we do it over here. We go by the script. But that's not what he did. Instead, he just said, tell me more. So I told him more. And you know what he did next? He's like, I completely understand what you're trying to say. And he didn't just leave it at that. He explained from his perspective of what I was trying to say, and he nailed it. That day, I decided that I wanted to work with Coach Eric, and uh, him and I worked very well together. I I re-upped the package a couple of times, and I was able to learn a lot from the gentleman. And there was this one session that stood out. One day, we were doing this uh, one particular talk. Uh, Well, I was doing the talk, and he was evaluating it. And Midway in, he's like, Armani, I really felt like you could have told a little bit more stories in this episode. I was like, oh yeah? He's like, yeah. See, Armani, here's what I would have done. And then, on the fly, he is telling this very in-depth story. And the way that he's telling the story is amazing. He's using his voice as an instrument. And at that moment, I was like, wait a minute, Coach Eric. Why don't you start a podcast too? What I found out was that he um, he was a radio DJ. So that's in a completely different field where it's more of a broadcast style. But with podcasting, you're speaking more to individuals. So radio is broadcast general. Podcast is niched one-on-one. I was like, Coach Eric, you could literally dominate on podcasts. And I don't know. I think he considered it. Maybe he started his podcast already. But what I started to notice was that this gentleman was using his voice as an instrument. And after that moment, I just started to get very curious about the voice. I was like, what the hell is the voice? Like, you can't hold it. You can't touch it. You can't smell it. Well, for some of y'all, maybe you can't smell it. You know, you guys got to brush your teeth every now and then. But the main thing is that it's intangible. So I started to get more curious about the voice. I learned more about it. And eventually, I stumbled upon this one uh, guy who was blind. And since he was blind, he needed to use his other senses much more effectively. And the senses that he sharpened a lot was hearing. Nowadays, he's at that state where he doesn't just hear the voice. He hears an instrument. And this guy was breaking down the different components of a voice and how it is very similar to a musical instrument. It's a mix between a violin and a flute. And the way that the voice works is like this. You first have a thing called energy, which is the breath. Okay, without that, you have nothing. Then you have the vocal cords, which turns the breath 
into sound. Then you uh, relay that sound into a place called the resonators, otherwise known as your jaw. And the resonators gets all that sound and puts it in one spot. And finally, you have the articulators, which chops the sound into words that are understood by others. And the articulators are the lips and the tongue. When I was learning more about this, I was like, wow, like here is this thing that us humans have, but we never take the time to appreciate it. Now, imagine if someone came up to you and was like, you can't speak for a day. You're going to be like, "Eh, that's not too bad. You can't speak for a week. Now you're like, then then how the hell am I going to go in the drive-thru in McDonald's? How am I going to order that Big Mac? Then this person says, you can't ever speak again. Now it's beginning to hit you. It's like, never speak again? That's a problem. Well, there are humans like that. They have a thing called focal paralysis where they can't speak. Or if they try, they have a very soft voice. So these guys are probably like, man, if I had the voice, I'd be crushing it in life. But a lot of humans with voices, they're like, I have the voice, but I don't appreciate it. I don't even know how it works. And these are the kind of questions that people who learn about soft skills eventually began asking. See, my background started off in engineering. I uh, got my bachelor's in electrical engineering, and I got my master's in business analytics slash information systems, which is somewhat like engineering. It's called systems engineering. And I spent a couple of years just working in a variety of different fields, getting practical experience, ranging from aerospace to finance to the electrical space and much more. And I noticed this big gap. The gap was that a lot of these engineers, they had brilliant technical knowledge. Like they knew the system inside and out. They could speak to a machine with charm, with swag. But by the time that it came down to speaking to humans, they didn't have that charm or swag. They were a little weird with it, or they were very mean. A lot of engineers, uh, like you could say that they lack social skills, but let's cut straight to the chase. A lot of engineers are blunt. The reason that they're blunt is because that's what we were trained like. We weren't trained for, for warmth. We were trained for black and white thinking. So whenever an engineer sees someone doing something wrong, they'll just tell them. But this is where there was this disconnect. The business analysts, otherwise known as the BAs, they were the ones dealing with the stakeholders, the other people, the people that were pretty much purchasing the project from our company. And the BAs had this charm, and they were capable of speaking to humans. But where they lacked skill was understanding the technical aspects of a machine. So whenever the stakeholders were asking innocent questions like, is this system going to be predominantly powered on battery or capacitor? The business analyst like, I don't know. Uh, Let me get back to you. And you keep saying, let me get back to you enough times. Eventually, the stakeholders are going to view you as incompetent. Now, I was an outsider at this point because I was just starting off my career And I was thinking, how come these engineers don't have some presentation skills? And how come these BAs don't have better hard skills? What gives? Why are we separating these two for? And these were questions that when you're in an environment, like when you're that engineer and that BA that works in that environment day in and day out, you don't think about asking these questions because this is just a reality for you. But that is a way of the past. Nowadays, it's imperative to have both. Like you need to have hard skills. Like you need to understand how to use instruments. And it doesn't have to be like overly complex either. A lot of these instruments nowadays are pretty much set up for you with a beautiful GUI, otherwise known as the graphical user interface, where you you just need to have a purpose and then you can use the instruments effectively. But it's not just about using the instruments effectively either. You need to be able to communicate your message. That's very important. So uh, hard skills is about learning how to 
use instruments. Soft skills is about becoming the instrument. And when you think about it, that's a very profound way to view reality. Because the ego that every human being is born with is there, it's like every human being out there has tons of experiences from the second that they were born all the way up until their current age. And they can't necessarily identify with all of the experiences. So they identify with a select layer. I am an American. I am a Muslim, Christian. I am a Democrat and such. The ego gets all of that data and creates a label out of it. And that label is what influences the decision-making for the mind, body, and the intellect. So whenever the ego hears, you have to become the instrument, the ego's like, I'm not becoming the instrument to anything. I am the boss. And this is why people who have a lot of pride struggle with soft skills. It's like these are the guys that will go out of their way to confuse you whenever they're over here explaining something. They're not trying to explain something so the other person understands. They're trying to explain something so they themselves feel like a genius. They're like, oh, you don't know these fancy words that I'm using? Oh, trust me, I I get where you're coming from because I got trained for this. I went to school for it. I am doing X, Y, and Z. And it's like, I don't care. Just explain the concept to me. Speaking simple is such a, it's such a useful skill set to have because where there's one group of people that's always leaving others more confused. If you're like, let's say you're less qualified than the person who's leaving other people more confused, you're less qualified and you can speak in a simple way, you'll have more opportunities because just think about this for a second. The average human has 30,000 thoughts a day. I don't know how they measure these types of uh, data, but let's just give them the benefit of the doubt. Whoever made this statistic, the average human has 30,000 thoughts a day. So when they have that many thoughts, do they want another human speaking to them in a way that causes them to think more? No. They want another human that makes them think less, that just allows them to be present in the moment. When you see a baby laughing, are you thinking a lot? Like, oh my God, let me see that. When you see a cute little puppy, are you thinking a lot? Nope. You are present and in the moment. And that's what people will determine on uh, on whether they like you or not. It's like, some people get it backwards. They're like, well, what can I say to be liked more? Like, what's like the joke that I tell? What's the personality that I mimic? Like, who do I become in order to be liked more? And they're focusing so much on the words. But you know what they're not focusing on enough? The energy. The energy is also a word that like a lot of hard skills people don't mess with. I know because I'm speaking from experience. Whenever I hear someone say energy, I'm like, oh no, it's it's one of these guys. But energy doesn't have to be made in a very mystical fashion. It could be something that's very practical in nature. I like to just view it down to the simplicity. There's two types of energy out there. There's empowering and then there's draining. When someone is deciding whether they like you or not, they literally just boil it down to these two decisions. Did this other person empower me more or did they drain me more? If they drain me more, then at a baseline level, I do not like this person too much. And if they empowered me more at a baseline level, I I did like them. So this may seem like it's a little too simple, but a big part of understanding soft skills is about training the mind for simplicity. To see uh, simplicity in a mind uh, that normally gravitates towards complexity is a skill set. Whenever you see a human that speaks in a very simple way, don't think that's how they were born. Like if you allow a person to ramble, they absolutely will ramble. Uh, So this is what I also call the dark parts of being a good listener. When you're being a good listener, here's how it works in a very uh, logical world. You're over here having a conversation. The other person is speaking. You're over here listening. And then you're thinking, 
okay, I've been listening to this guy for some time. Now, uh, this person should do the fair thing and listen back to me, right? But that's not what always happens. Instead, what happens is you're thinking that this is going to happen. You're like, at any moment, this person is going to stop talking and they're going to give me the spotlight. They're finally going to be like, you? But they're not. They're over here just talking more and more and more. And eventually, you're like, man, enough of this. You know, I'm going to take the spotlight. So you forcefully take the spotlight, and now you begin telling a story about yourself. And you're thinking that this person is going to give you that same level of respect that you gave them. But that's not what's happening. Instead, this person is like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm giving you that low energy and their face it looks like so mopey when you're speaking where it's draining your energy and now you can't over here uh, tell that story of the promotion that you got with fire instead it's just like oh man like this guy's body language is making me want to wrap up my story so you wrap it up and this person like once they see you wrap it up and they're about to talk about themselves again they spring back into life. Now they're over here talking more and more and more. And you're like, well, what gives, man? What's the point of being a good listener if people are just going to ramble to me and when I want to speak back to them, they're over here with this glazed look in their eyes? Here's what I want to say, my friend. In this scenario, both parties are at fault. You are at fault because you allowed another person to ramble and the other person has is at fault because they rambled. So let's break that down. Human beings, when they ramble, they feel the same pleasure sensations as having sex. It's identical. And more specifically, rambling about themselves. Like if you can get a human being to speak about themselves, you don't really need to often say much. Unless you're dealing with a private person, for the most part, humans love to speak about themselves and it is the uh, pleasure sensations of sex. So imagine that you're pretty much priming this guy to feel so freaking good talking about themselves for 15 to 30 minutes and you're just passively listening with your head like just nodding like this. And then abruptly, you take the spotlight away from them. How do you think they're going to feel? You're blueballing them, dog. So they're going to be like, man, this guy's annoying me. Even if it's logical or not, that's just how they're going to feel. So you're wrong in that regards. It's much better to every now and then sprinkle yourself into the conversation. There's two types of listening out there. There's sponge and then there's trampoline. Sponge is when you're doing a thing called passive listening. You're just absorbing, okay? And typically, you're doing sponge listening when you're a shoulder to cry on. And someone over here is like, let's say they lost... Uh, let's say their son died in a car accident and they're over here talking to you. You're just over here, like, you know, doing your best to just be present in the moment. And every now and then you're doing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, like these verbal gestures. That's called sponge listening. The other type of listening is known as trampoline listening, which is active listening, okay? And this is, like, what does a trampoline do? It takes tiny hops and makes it bigger and bigger and bigger, Right? And that is what you are supposed to do. You're supposed to get the points from someone else. And you're supposed to paraphrase it to show that you're understanding. You're supposed to ask questions. You're supposed to ask, find a way for them to clarify some more. Like you are now participating. So whenever someone is rambling to you too long, chances are you have engaged in sponge listening when in reality, you should have been doing trampoline listening. Okay? So once again, let me just reiterate this home because I've dealt with this issue a lot. Uh, like, I don't really normally talk in interactions too much. I'm more of a listener. But every now and then, I notice I'm listening and I'm not given the proper respect when I'm the one speaking. And eventually, like, it really dawned on me that it's like, you can't let humans ramble. You got to direct the conversation because someone needs to direct it. And chances are, if they're rambling, they don't know how to direct it. Okay, which brings me to the next point, the rambler. It's like, why are you rambling for? Um, 
And it's like, we already answered that. It's like, you never see a polished baby. It's like a baby at the core state, when they're first learning language, they're saying whatever is on their mind, right? So that's the baseline state. If you ever wanted to um, work on your rambling skills, I have a fun little exercise. The exercise is to create a um, uh, create meaningful sentences with one words. I or excuse me, create meaningful sentences with one syllable words. I took my dog to the park. Now, what this does is that it trains your mind into uh, thinking in simple terms, because it's not easy. Like sometimes you're going to like be trying to say a sentence that has two uh, syllables. It's just like, oh, no, 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 I got to find a replacement. I don't want to break my chain of one syllables. And this is actively training your mind into a simple mode of thinking. So anytime, like, let's say you're in the shower, you're driving to work, I just try to form meaningful sentences with one uh, syllable words, and you'll see yourself getting to the point much quicker. So that's that's a move. Uh, that's a move that people really don't like. People love rambling, but they hate to be rambled too. And this is just a social sin in general. Uh, there's a couple of social sins out there. There's not just rambling. Another social sin that you may be completely unaware of is physically cutting someone off. Like we've heard of uh, mentally cutting someone off or conversationally cutting someone off. Mentally cutting someone off is when you ignore them. You delete them from your existence. A conversationally cutting someone off is let's say you're having a conversation, the other person is trying to make a point, and suddenly you just butt in and you take the uh, you take the point. Okay. Organically, this will happen in conversations. Like you could put two very socially intelligent people together, and every now and then they're going to cut each other off. That's a part of the conversation. Uh, but when it's happening too much, now it's becoming a character fault, and that's something that should be worked on. But I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about physically cutting someone off, which happens more than you would think. In a group situation, every now and then, a person gets so carried away with the the story that they're telling that they're focusing on one part of the group a lot, and suddenly they're like just like cutting the other person off more and more and more to a point where the other person that's getting cut off doesn't like that. They're they're feeling ostracized, you know? This actually reminds me of the first uh, icebreaker speech that I gave at Toastmasters, which is on my YouTube channel. It's called The Four Haircuts. You should check it out. And the speech, like the speech location is in a very weird area. It's basically, what I mean by a weird area is that the location is nice, but the setup of the audience is a tad bit strange, where there's a speaker, there's an audience section like in front of the speaker, to the left and to the right. So it's like a big U, okay? And then there's a speaker that's like planted right in the middle of the U shape. So it's like, it's my first ever speech, and I'm apparently looking at the left side and the middle of the audience a lot, and I'm not looking at the right side enough. So after the speech is done, I felt as though I did a pretty good job, and a lot of the uh, the members came up to me and they were like, hey man, like that's really good for your first speech. So your boy's feeling a little cocky with it. I'm like, yeah man, my first speech, look, look how good I did. But then at the end, there's a thing called a general evaluator. He's supposed to uh, talk about the uh, the pace uh, of the entire Toastmasters meeting. He is not supposed to zone in on one speaker, but he uh, changed up the game plan. Out of nowhere, he's just like, you know, he's like, I believe the meeting went well because it started on time. This certain thing could have been improved. That certain thing could have been improved. And by the way, uh, there was this one speaker who whose back was facing this segment of the audience the entire time. And I believe that that's something that uh, future speakers should be aware of. And when he said that, I was just like, man, who is the speaker that was facing his back to the entire side of the audience? What a dummy. And th- that's when like, I just gradually saw people sneaking looks at me like, uh, like, it's like, a, you know, it's like, a, 
you know, they're like whispering and they're like looking at me. And afterwards, uh, there was this like this senior. Uh, his name was Frank. Uh, he gave me some a uh, positive feedback first. Then he's like, Armani, you can't have your back facing a side of the audience like that again. All right, you got to give everyone the proper attention that they deserve. I was like, man, I didn't even know that I was doing that, but I was. And it's like this mistake can just happen out of the blue moon. You don't necessarily have to be one of these guys that means harm or anything. A lot of social skills mistakes happen not due to malice, but it's a straight up mistake. It's you're ignorant on the matter. And I'll give you an example. So malice, first of all, is born from a negative intent, while with a mistake, there is no negative intent. And not being able to spot the difference between mistakes and malice will open you up to a lot of snake bites. This is why some people will just keep forgetting uh, like past errors that someone else did to them. They'll be like, oh, well, that was just a mistake. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was just a mistake too. And that too. That person deleted all their text messages because it was a mistake. That person um, was talking crap about me because it was a mistake. That person did X, Y, and Z because it was a mistake, not understanding that they were operating with a dark intent. And let me just tell you a funny uh, story in regards to this. So Wilt Chamberlain, he was this um, larger-than-life basketball player in the 60s. And when I mean larger-than-life, I mean that he had a very boisterous personality, and he was tall, really tall. He was at least seven foot tall. And what would happen was uh, different people would uh, just routinely walk up to him. They'd look up, and they'd be like, well, what's the weather like up there? Now, if you're thinking about it, it's like if I saw someone that was seven foot tall, I want to talk to this person, right? I don't know why. I just have this primal urge to talk to them because I normally don't see someone that tall. I may be like, do you play basketball or something? Or if I'm feeling jovial that day, I may be like, what's the weather like up there, homie? Not meaning any harm. But the thing is, uh, for the seven foot community, even though it's very small, uh, get it small. Uh, it's a, it's a pun. Um, they don't like that question. They find that very annoying, and they draw a very similar analogy. Like, let's say you you find a really fat person, like not just a regular fat guy, like like a tiny little Billy. I'm talking like morbidly obese, and you go up to this person and you're like, "Well, what's your pant size like?" Like, just naturally, we know that's a very inappropriate question to ask. It's like you don't ask someone that. So that's when Will Chamberlain draws the same parallel. He's like, well, why is it not okay to ask someone what uh, their waist size is, but you can ask a tall person what their shoe size is? And I never thought about it like that. Like, for the longest time, I just thought, like, that was an okay question to ask. What's the weather like up there? What shoe size do you wear? Where do you buy clothes from, homie? But a lot of tall people find that as disrespect. Now, now, is this a mistake or malice on my end? It's a mistake because it's just born from ignorance. Now, imagine that Will Chamberlain informs me. He's like, Armani, I don't like when people ask me that, okay? So one day, Will walks into a, a social that I'm hosting, and I remember the conversation that I had with him about his pet peeves. But for some reason, I still want to uh, get some jokes off at his expense. And uh, I'm just like, hey, hey, Wilt, come here. Let me introduce you to the squad. And then once he comes, and I'm like, hey, Wilt, what's the weather like up there, homie? Now I'm going in with the incentive to embarrass him. And this is malice. This is dark intent. There's a difference, all right? A big difference. And not being able to spot the difference is what will lead to betrayal. But spotting the difference requires work. And how is judgment built as a whole? Judgment is built from trial and error. Like there has to be a couple of times where, let's say, uh, someone did make a mistake. Like they were not operating with malice at all. Let's say you gave them the cold shoulder, right? Let's say hypothetically someone, uh, like you wished someone happy birthday, uh, but they didn't wish it for you back. And you're like, well, what gives? I wished you happy birthday. You couldn't do the same thing for me. So 
for some reason, it, it just like really stung you. And you're like, screw this guy. And you incorrectly think that this person operated with malice towards you. But in reality, like let's say he runs a Facebook, uh, Facebook uh, ads account where you market your online business with the, uh, the ads. And for some reason, the ads account got disbanded and his entire Facebook got shut down for further uh, like uh, sus- uh, a suspicious activity. And normally he uses a f- Facebook to remember people's birthdays. He's just not normally a kind of guy that remembers people's birthdays. There are a lot of people like that. And he accidentally forgot to not wish you. Okay, so this was not malice, but you just cut this guy off. Then like a couple of years goes on by and you hear the full side of the story and you're like, wow, like this guy literally made a mistake. It was not from malice. And this is where judgment is built because like there was a little pain involved. Like trying to become smart without any form of pain is a very losing strategy. So it's like, okay, okay, Um, there was pain involved. And now I could recalibrate. Another flip side example is like, let's say a boyfriend and a girlfriend are dating. The girlfriend knows the boyfriend's passcode. Then out of the blue moon, uh, uh, one day the boyfriend has a uh, passcode on. Girlfriend's like, what the heck? And then like a couple of days goes on by and the boyfriend uh, had a bunch of messages with this particular girl. And then suddenly it's deleted. The girlfriend wants to see the messages. But he's like, oh, I accidentally deleted it, right? And the girl believes it. She's like, oh, okay, well, I guess it was a mistake. A couple of years goes on. Oh, a couple of weeks, not even years. A couple of weeks goes on by. And it just so happens that the boy is having an affair with the girl whose messages he deleted. Now, the girlfriend is like, what? I thought you accidentally deleted the messages. I didn't know that you did it with intent. You see? So if the girl is smart, uh, she is hopefully going to learn uh, this dark insight. It's like, you know, um, this was not a mistake. It was malice. And that happens. That's how we build good judgment. Judgment is something that's very unique to me. because. You know, growing up, uh, there was a certain period where I didn't like eye contact too much. Uh, whenever someone was looking me in the eyes, I was like, man, it feels like they're they're judging me. Like, I didn't like that. So I went ahead and, you know, I worked on this uh, setback of mine. Uh, and I continued to, you know, find out why I felt weird having eye contact uh, in general, Right. So eventually, the more that I built my confidence, the more that uh, I was starting to get used to it. Like for certain uh, people, like uh, I was like warming up to it. And by the way, I just want to make a quick little disclaimer message. I'm talking about for me. I notice anytime I speak about eye contact, there's always this one comment about someone who's like, well, what about autistic people? It's like, use your own judgment. Do you think I'm speaking about autistic people or do you think I'm speaking about myself right now? It's like sometimes you got to just like illustrate this and you just got to, you got to put it into words for other people to be like, oh, uh, all content isn't about me. You see? So this was something that I was working on and eventually got better. And eventually I could like do eye contact better with different groups of people. But every now and then I struggled with eye contact with certain groups of people. There was this one guy named Rahul, like where something about him, man, like he was too confident. You know what I'm saying? Like, he was one of those kinds of confident people that, like, you have to earn his laugh, right? Uh, and, like, if he would laugh, he would expect everyone else to laugh. He wouldn't laugh at your jokes when, like, you were telling a joke. Something about him just gave me bad vibes. But the reason that I would speak to the guy was because I was going from West Palm Beach to Tampa for university. And he was the only guy from West Palm Beach that I knew. So he was going to be my initial friend. So, I just like noticed like at that point in my life, I was much better with eye contact, but with him, I just normally struggled. I was like, why is it so difficult to do eye contact with this guy? How come I could do eye contact with all my other friends, but not him? As a couple of weeks went on by, 
I started to hear that you know Rahul would talk a lot of crap about me. He's like, oh yeah, Armani, he's not the smartest guy. Oh man, Armani, he's really dumb. Oh man, like I'm, I'm basically carrying us in our classes. I was like, no, you're not. I literally just asked you for help one time on a certain assignment, and you're painting that narrative about me. And it was so strange because that's when I started to notice like this reoccurring pattern in my life. With certain groups of people, when I really struggle with eye contact with them, uh, there's like some snaky moves that they do, like that I eventually find out about. So I'm like, what is this intelligence within the body that's alerting me like beforehand that a snake move can be pulled? Obviously, I don't want to bring this point home too much because this can actually at times lead to poor judgment. Let's say just hypothetically, let's say you're actually nervous around this person. You can incorrectly make the assumption saying, well, I guess this guy's a snake. So I don't want to draw any conclusions. I just wanted to like note that insight. I was like, why is it that with certain groups of people, it's like the body already knows, right? It's like, that's that's something that I don't think we actually speak about enough. It's like, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're a materialist, if you're a very religious person, whatever. You think this whole life is a dream? It doesn't matter. Like you tell them, like always listen to your gut. Like you say that with confidence. All of these groups of people are going to be like, hell yeah, you always listen to your gut. But why? Like how does the gut know anything? Like wh- why? You know, it's like, uh, is it? Can you explain it from materialism? It's like, well, yeah. I mean, because the subconscious mind is something that is evolving and it's trying to take in data that will protect you and keep you away from harm. Okay, that's like a materialist explanation. Then the metaphysical one is like, our stories are already written and the written word of our life is trying to warn us when something is outside the scope of the signal. It's letting us know when we are straying away from the signal, aka it's warning us from bad people. And I'm like, wait a minute. That definition also makes a lot of sense as well. It's like, let's say you're a filmmaker. Like, what does a filmmaker do? They record a lot of film based off of the script that they have. And then after they record a lot of film, they chop away at it. And they know what to chop away, right? They can spot the signal from the noise. Signal is meaningful information versus noise, which is, eh, it's crap. Because they have a script. So it's like, huh. It's like the metaphysical uh, explanation for the gut instinct also makes sense. So it doesn't matter if you have a materialist worldview or a metaphysical worldview. It's like the gut instinct is important. But to understand the gut instinct, like you really need a system that um, is humbling you. Right? There has to be some sort of system out there that's humbling you. Otherwise, intuition uh, can be confused as self-greed and vice versa. Self-greed can be um, influenced or can be confused as intuition. And I'm sure we've all seen someone like this. It's like, I just stole from my uh, my business partner because my heart told me to. It's like, this person literally thinks that they got like this insight right on why they should steal like as as though it's for the greater good but nah it's only for their own good a lot of intuition often uh, can help you out and help out multiple people in the process while greed self-interest only helps you out so every now and then if you're thinking about okay is this intuitive in nature or is it self-greed you want to at least think is this helping anyone but me anyone okay uh, and the term intuition is very important to me. Um, I, I don't mean about it in like straight up uh, like flashes of insight where you can't control it. I'm talking about intuition, insight that can be systematized. Because uh, the Armani Talks brand predominantly relies on impromptu speaking. And if you want to learn impromptu speaking, it's a very difficult skill set to learn because there's not that many people speaking about it. 
So if you want to learn the skill set and you're really serious about it, then you're going to have to learn from different people out there. Uh, and one field that you can learn a lot from is from hip hop. Now with hip hop, there's two groups that often form. People who uh, read off their raps and other rappers that are freestylers. So one time, uh, there was an experiment done about the difference in brain states of someone who is reading off their rhymes versus a freestyler. And the person who's freestyling, their sense of self portion of the brain is completely deactivated, which means that they're tuning into this infinite sea of potential and they're turning the probabilistic insights into particle-based reality, such as the words. And I'm like, that's impromptu speaking. A lot of the times, like the cheat code to creativity is not preparing. It's like when you're preparing too much, now you're engaging the logical self. You're second guessing yourself a lot. But when you're doing impromptu speaking, it's straight courage. Because sometimes you're over here starting something, right? And you're starting it in a certain way where you're like, okay, I don't know where the hell I'm going with this, but I can't stop. I got to just keep going with it and expect that it's going to eventually connect. And if you keep keep it up, it is eventually going to connect. And once you're done with the talk, you're like, how the hell did that happen? I mean, I didn't plan it out. It just sort of happened. And that's when you're starting to see some similarities between you and the freestyle rapper. It's like the sense of self portion of the brain is disconnected. You are becoming the instrument to something, and that is leading to intuition and insights. But it needs to be systematized, though. That's why, like, there's literally one rule with impromptu speaking. Like, if someone wants to learn it, just one rule, not 50 different rules with, like, different sports, just one. You want to know what it is? Do not start over. Don't. Because this is what holds people back. Sometimes they'll start a talk, and as they start to talk, like midway in, they're going to be like, well, I don't know where this talk is taking me. And they're going to be like, I'm going to start over. I'm going to hit stop and start over. There's only one rule. Like, if you want to play this game, play it. Do not start over. Okay, just keep, keep it going. However it ends up, that's how it ends up. Okay? And... This is where I think like, we shouldn't be too reliant on technology. I think w- one thing that holds a lot of people back is that they rely too much on the technology. Like, If they're over here fumbling, they're like, well, I'll edit it out. It's like, I get that. Like, I really do get that. But I do believe that if you're smart with it, like, you should have a certain segment of your life where you embrace imperfections. See, machines are meant for perfection. But humans are meant for imperfection. Because in imperfection is where you're pushing the boundaries. And as you're pushing the boundaries, you're opening up the possibility to reach innovative insights. If you're always playing it safe, and you're just doing what everyone else is doing, you're not, you're not taking any risks. But do not be fooled. There are two kinds of imperfection. One imperfection is... Um, the, the bad attitude. And this is typically attitude that you get when you're doing something th- that you shouldn't be doing or you're doing something that a machine should be doing. It's like if you go to a fast food restaurant, you'll see a lot of people nowadays have a very bad attitude. And I can't blame them. It's like a lot of them are over here spending hours and hours flipping patties and they're over here uh, pouring the fries into the oil and the oil is splattering on their skin. They feel like pain. It's like, that could be automated. Like a machine can literally do that. So since they're doing a work, a job that a machine can do, they're going to like feel agitated about this. Okay? So that's the bad kind of imperfection. The good kind of imperfection is fun. Think about it. Anytime that you're having fun, is everything going perfect? No, as a matter of fact, it's not. You're over here, like let's say you're trying to build uh, like Legos. Like anytime that you're over here trying to do it, um, like sometimes you're like, oh man, I see it in my mind, but I can't necessarily make it. So you're failing a lot. 
what's that one game um is that game where like you pull the block out and see who uh who makes the blocks break first let me, let me just google it i think it's called jenga yeah the game jenga like you have like this huge stack and you keep pulling out brick by brick to see who is going to uh, pull the untimely brick that's going to make the whole uh, tower fall that game is built around imperfection so you have the most fun when you welcome imperfections rather than uh, try to optimize it out of your system okay and this is where storytellers get it right a lot of the filmmakers whenever they're creating stories a lot of them are like okay we're we're painting ourselves into a corner right now like how the hell is this character going to get out of this particular conflict as seasoned directors are like yeah like we've painted ourselves into a corner time to find a way to get out of it and that process of you trying to get out of it is where so many creative insights are born maybe there's another character that rescues this character or maybe this character that's in the pickle it, it discovers untapped potential that they were unaware of before and like now they're over here brainstorming thinking of different things all born from imperfection okay so that's the same thing with impromptu speaking a lot of the times when you have found yourself in a corner and you're like how am i going to get out of this i really don't know see it's difficult because it's like oh man like you know you see that intimidating recording light like just staring at you and you're just like oh, no 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 i can't i gotta say something just say something dummy and then you're like no i don't always have to say something sometimes i could just I can smile. I can work on my body language. And that body language is implying messages to the other person. And as that is happening, now I can gather my thoughts. And as I'm gathering my thoughts, I'm over here just keeping the momentum going. I am not starting over. I am not breaking the one rule of impromptu speaking. So by doing this, it's like impromptu speaking. Like, uh, I, got, I got other stuff to do, homie. Like, why would I even do something like that? I could do plant speaking. The reason why is because things are just moving too fast. You know, it really is. Like, I, I don't want to give that answer, but it really is moving too fast. And it's like, if you always need to plan everything that you're going to say, then you're going to be nervous a lot. Let's say you go to a job interview and like, five of the people that are going to be interviewing you are nice they're going to throw you softballs but one guy just walks in and he just got divorced recently you could tell he's like upset with life and he wants to take out his aggression on someone you have suddenly been introduced with uncertainty what are you gonna do are you gonna be like oh no i didn't plan for this guy if you know impromptu speaking your faith does not waver at all you thrive in uncertainty. I like to call impromptu speaking an insurance policy against speech anxiety. Because when I was in Toastmasters, there was a certain period where, like, you know, after you give a certain amount of speeches, you're going to eventually be given a mentee. And if you're lucky, you'll get a couple of mentees. And you could see how much you know about public speaking as you're answering questions. And from there, you'll also see what uh, typically makes people fearful. One of the things that really makes someone scared is forgetting their talk. Like they really are panicking. And they're like, if I choke my speech, I'll look like an idiot, you know? But it's like, okay, uh, well, why don't you learn to think on your feet even if you do forget your speech? And see, this is where sometimes a mentor can help you. They'll ask you questions where you're like, I never thought about it like that. And that's why Toastmasters, in my opinion, is clutch with table topics. Like Toastmasters gets a lot of hate too. Um, I'm perfectly aware of this. Uh, I, I have made blogs and videos on the pros and cons of Toastmasters. Uh, I'll start off with the cons, the bad news first, and then I'll talk about the pros. First of all, Toastmasters is a global public speaking club. 
that uh, helps you out with planned speeches, evaluations, and impromptu speaking. Okay. Alongside that, there are different uh, positions that you can volunteer for. You could be the grammarian, where you're monitoring other people's grammar. You could be the timer. You could be the general evaluator. You could be the Toastmaster, the guy who leads the meeting. There are plenty of different speaking opportunities. So that's what Toastmasters is. Now, some of the cons is that one con is the is that they get you really focused at times on the filler words, where occasional filler words I don't think are is bad. I actually think it's a good thing because it humanizes your message more. And a lot, a lot of smart people, like let's say a person reads a lot, you'll notice that they say um a little bit more because their ideas are so grand that they need a little bit of leeway in order to uh, generate the idea. So every now and then, I think Toastmasters focuses a little too much on the filler words, or at least they did for one particular club that I was in. Another uh, con of Toastmasters is depending on the size of the club, uh, if it's a very small club, then what will happen is that um, a lot of newbie speakers are going to be called to evaluate someone else's speech. But I don't think that's smart because a newbie speaker is not in the position to evaluate someone else's speech. You should at least have given five to six speeches before you even think about evaluating because now you know what to look out for. So that's another thing. So sometimes you get like um, not seasoned evaluators. So those are two cons. And another con that I would say is that it really gets you focused on the delivery at times um, more than the message. where this is uh, this is club by club, by the way, uh, but you don't want to be one of those guys that focuses so much on the the how that you completely undermine the what. Like you really need to take some time to understand what type of talk that you're giving. So those are some of the cons. The pros are literally the the opposite, which is like the last con that I ended off with was it gets you really focused on the how versus the what. But nowadays, there's a thing called pathways. So you can choose the path that is best for you and your lifestyle. So let's say you want to be funnier. You could choose the comedy path. Let's say you want to be a better leader. Choose the dynamic leadership path. Let's say you want to work better in teams. Choose the teamworking path. So nowadays, like if you have the right path that is congruent to you, you want to work on the what, right? So the con from before was more so for, in my opinion, or actually I have it right now. This is called a com, uh, competent communic competent communication. Anyone who's listening to this, I'm holding my first ever Toastmasters book, and in this book, like you're given speeches that, like they give you direction and you're supposed to fill it in, and I believe this is actually good. Like the first speech is called the icebreaker, and you're supposed to tell uh, the audience more about you. And you could take it however you want to take it. They just give you the direction, and now you have to sprinkle in the what. But when you can choose your path, now you're much more invested, okay? Another pro in terms of uh, Toastmasters is that you you should view it as a social skills club that happens to teach public speaking. Because if you do it like that, you're not going to be one of those guys that just goes to the meeting gives the speech, then leaves. Instead, you're going to take some time to network with people. And the people that go into Toastmasters, different walks of life. Like you're going to see entrepreneurs, you're going to see doctors, you're going to see lawyers, and much more. So network with them. It's a completely different uh, circle that you're, uh, you're immersing in. And another pro with Toastmasters is the versatility of it all. It gives you different views of public speaking. Like in the beginning, go ahead and start off with impromptu speaking. Like you really learn a skill when there are a lot of eyeballs looking at you. But then it's like, wait a minute, like now I, I like I got the swag, like I got the the courage to do impromptu speaking. And now it's much easier to do planned speaking. So you choose your path, you're doing the speeches. And eventually, as you've done a good amount of speeches, you do evaluations. It's like, as you do evaluations, it's like, okay, uh, now I know what to look out for. 
I know how to evaluate someone to bring out their best sides rather than destroy their confidence. How about I try something else? How about I'm the timer now? Now, as I'm the timer, I understand the importance of having a certain time in terms of creativity. Because some speakers are going to be like, well, I could speak for 30 minutes if you allow me to. Just because you can doesn't mean that you should. There's a certain beauty to being done on time, right? But you don't have to undermine the creativity. As a matter of fact, having an allotted period of time gives you that clarity to thrive in creativity. So now you're the timer. And then you're like, how about I become the grammarian today? How about I be the the all counter today? The person who's counting the filler words. And just like that, you're building so many different perspectives of the skill set of public speaking. Now, is Toastmasters the public Uh, the perfect club. No. But then again, nothing is perfect. Okay? So I think people like that are, like for the most part, there's more positive comments than negative comments. But every now and then, like, you know, the negative comments, even though they're less, are louder, you know, or they seem louder due to the negativity bias of the brain. It's like you, you press these guys and you're like, well, how many meetings did you go to? They're like, two. I'm like, two? That's it? You don't even have the right to have an opinion. You're like one of those guys that read a book, read like six pages, and you're like, oh, this book sucks. Like, you better read at least half of the book before you provide some sort of an opinion. And even then, it's like, I actually prefer you finish the entire book before I hear about it. Because with creative fields, especially such as reading, one idea can, one idea is all you need to determine if the book was worth it or not. And sometimes, the best idea is in like the, well, not all the time, but sometimes it's in like the last section of the book. Okay. So it's like, sometimes you press these guys that are like, well, why are you saying Toastmasters isn't good? How many meetings did you go to? Oh, two. And some of them will be like, oh, I've been going for a year. I'm like, okay. And how many speeches did you give? Uh, like some people join the club and they don't give any talks. I'm like, you're not participating. Like earlier, I just said, like you start off as a, like doing impromptu talks, then you do planned speaking, then you do evaluating, then you hop around, you do uh, the timer, the all counter. Maybe you can be the Toastmaster, lead the meeting, understand what it's like to direct the flow of a certain interaction, be the general evaluator. But instead of doing that, they just come with a, a whiny attitude. They're just coming ready to whine. Just to say like, see, it didn't work for me. I, I was in the club for one year. But it's like no no effort. It's like you don't have the right to have an opinion. Okay? And it's like some people, like they actually do put in the work and such. And they're like, ah, this just isn't for me. And I completely respect that. Not everything is for everyone. Okay? But uh, I mean, for the most part, for me, I have way more good things to say about Toastmasters than bad things. It's It's really because it changed my life. Like there is no Armani talks without Toastmasters, right? Like n- no Armani talks. M- maybe I could have stumbled onto it, but like Toastmasters was really that thing that allowed me to understand, whoa, um, people could learn public speaking, right? And it's like, that's when like in the beginning of the episode, I was talking about like, you know, a lot of engineers can fix up their charm. When I was working as an engineer, there were times where like, like there would be like these um, town halls and we'd have to explain what our system does to like at least 200 to 300 people. My team was like, well, who's going to give the talk? I was like, I'll give the talk. And they're like, you're actually going to do it? Like, you don't need us to do anything? I'm like, no, no, no. Like, you guys are really going to let me do the talk? And they're like, let you, we want you to, you know, because they didn't want to do it. You know, imagine speaking in front of so many of your coworkers, and let's imagine that your heart is beating so loud that your voice is shaking in front of your coworkers. It's just embarrassing. So they didn't want to do it. So I'm like, I'll do it. And after I did the talk, they looked at me in a very positive light. Like there was more leeway. Like sometimes, like let's say I came to work late, uh, they wouldn't say anything. They'll be like, well, Armani, like he'll do the talks for us, like the high pressure stuff, he'll do it. So it's like, let's give him some leeway in certain stuff. 
And these are the phantom opportunities that stuff like public speaking can do for someone. It's like these opportunities where people look at you in a certain way. Like you get invited to a wedding, you're the best man, and you give that fire best man speech. People in the wedding are looking at you with awe because there were like, a, let's say, a lot of other groomsmen, like a lot of other people that didn't want to speak. Or if they are speaking, they're just reading off their phone the entire time. You, with your phone away, are look, looking at the audience. You're segmenting them properly. Your back isn't facing anyone for the entire talk. And that is what showcases true confidence. So learn public speaking, however you see fit. Um, I mean, it really is a skill set and it opens up so many different opportunities. So I've been talking for over a, roughly an hour now, and I'll take my own advice. Uh, time is very important for creativity, and I'm going to try to ensure that these talks go over no more than uh, one hour. So thank you very much for joining the Armani Talk show. Uh, go on and drop that like if you're watching from YouTube or leave a review if you're listening from audio. Thank you.